All right, so we are going to kind of land the habits plane today and talk about habits for the last time. We, week one, we talked about who we want to become instead of what do we want to do this year as far as a New Year's resolution. We want to determine who do we want to become, right? That's the question that we want to ask ourselves. And then last week, we talked about what good habits do I need to begin? What good habits do I need to start so that... I can become who I want to become. And so, of course, this week, last week we talked about starting. This week we need to talk about stopping. All right? What are some bad habits that we have that we need to stop, right? Get rid of, do away with. And so this has been the whole idea of the, of the sermon series is that uh, James Clear from Atomic Habits says we all have similar goals. Everybody has similar goals, Right? We just have very different results. And so, for example, nobody woke up on January 1st this year and said, you know what, I want to live paycheck by paycheck, and I want to stress over money, and I want more debt at the end of this year than I started with. Nobody says that. If anything, what do we say? We say we want to be debt-free this year. We want to get debt-free. We want to remove the debt. We don't want to stress over money anymore. We want to be done with what money does to us. And and that's usually the goal that all of us have, yet our results are very different. None of us say, you know what, this year I hope to become overweight, high cholesterol, high blood pressure, die young. That just sounds like a goal for me, right? Nobody says that. Nobody says, this year I hope that I can become addicted to something. I hope I can become addicted to drugs or alcohol or marijuana or pornography. Or Nobody wakes up and says, this year, I hope that I can become addicted to something and it gets so out of control that I lose my marriage and I lose my family and I lose everything that I know. Right? Does anybody do that? No, we don't do that. Nobody wakes up and says, you know what, this year I hope I live a mediocre life. I just want a, I want a mediocre life. I want no passion, no drive, no vision. I want to waste my life and end this year with tons of regrets. That would be my goal for 2020, right? None of us do that. See, we all have similar goals. We have very similar goals, very different results. And sometimes what I just described is the reality of some of our lives. And what happens is we wake up and we say, how did I get here? How did this happen to me? And the truth is this, we rarely end up in a bad place because of one bad choice. Rarely do we end up in a bad place or rarely do we wreck our lives, rarely do we destroy our lives because of one bad decision. One significant bad decision isn't the thing that necessarily ruins our lives. Here's the problem. We live in a culture where we like to summarize our bad luck or our bad lives or our wrecked lives with a sentence. That's what we do. So we say things like this. Well, he battled with his weight his whole life and he died of a heart attack. Your whole life gets summarized in one simple sentence, right? Or or how about this? Well, she cheated on him and so of course they divorced two years later. The whole decision, the whole life, the whole wrecked problem gets described in one simple sentence. Well, he just didn't follow through and do what he was supposed to, what his boss wanted him to, and so they canned him. One simple sentence. But here's the reality. It never is just one simple sentence. It's not one simple bad decision. You just don't end up sleeping with somebody one day accidentally. 
it doesn't just happen. You, you, we don't become overweight in, in one simple choice meal, right? It just doesn't happen. We don't lose our job typically because of one, one significant poor decision. Now, all these can happen, but not necessarily. And so it reminds me of a guy in the Bible that I've been thinking about. His name's Samson. And Samson is an Old Testament judge. Before Israel had kings, they had judges who were appointed, and they would be the determining factor. They would judge and make decisions for the people. And I was thinking about Samson a lot. If you don't, aren't familiar with Samson, you can read about him in the book of Judges in the Old Testament, chapters 13 through 16. It's a great read. You can sit down and just check, check out his life, all right? But this is the deal. Samson has been given this power, this strength from birth. And, and occasionally he wasted it. Occasionally he did things that he wasn't supposed to do. But ultimately he became judge. And what he wanted to do is he wanted to oust the Philistines, which was another nation near them. And so what he does is one day he wakes up and he says, I'm finally going to do these guys in. He goes and he gathers a bunch of foxes, right? He ties their tails together and he lights the tails on fire. And then he sends these foxes straight through the crops. Ends up catching all their crops on fire. All their olive orchards on fire. Everything catches on fire. And the Philistines are thinking, who does this? Mind you, this is where we got the concept of tail lights. Thank you very much. Man, that, was about, that flew about as high as first services too. So thanks a lot. I was really excited. Where do we get taillights? Samson, he tied their tails, and I gotta explain it. When I gotta explain it, it's not a good joke. Tied their tails together, lit them on fire, and sent them through the field. Now do you get it? Oh yeah, still, great, thanks. And so they say, who died, who did this to us? And it was Samson. And so the Philistines, they come and they surround Samson, and Samson takes a jawbone from a donkey, and with the jawbone from the donkey, he slays 1,000 men, and the Philistines run. Wow. What an incredible, an incredible adventure for him. And so we're going to pick up in Judges chapter 15, verse 18. This is what it says. And after he had done all this, he was very thirsty. This is moments I love in the Bible. Thank you for that. I'm sure he just slayed 1,000 men with the jawbone of a donkey. And you have to let us know he's thirsty. So he's very thirsty and he called upon the Lord. You've granted this great salvation by the hand of your servant. And shall I now die of thirst and fall into the hands of the uncircumcised? Don't we do that sometimes? Doesn't God accomplish something great in us or through us? And then we're like, hey God, what are you going to do now? Leave me out here to die? Like, like, hello? And sometimes we do this. We're like, God, I just gave you some money for that thing that the church needed, and now you're going to let me not have enough money to pay for gas this week? What are you doing? God, I've done everything right, and I got diagnosed with cancer, and you just want me to die of cancer? That's what you want my legacy to be? Like, we, we have this conversation sometimes with God, just like Sam, he just accomplished, he just slayed 1,000 men with the jawbone of a donkey. And he's like, hello, where are you, God? Goes on. And so God, he split open the hollow place that is at Lehi, and water came out from it. And he drank from it. And his strength returned. He was revived, right? He, he, was, he was back to his normal self. And guess what? 
Samson judged Israel for the next 20 years. That's a fascinating sentence to me. You know how we describe our own lives in one sentence, the good or the bad? This is one of those good sentences. For the next 20 years, he judged Israel. He judged them. He, he must have had great leadership skills, great discernment, great wisdom. He must have been a person of the people. He must have been uh, just one of those. They, they honored him. They appreciated him. They, they followed him. They brought their cases before him. They could trust him to make the right decisions. All of these things. And here's what's fascinating. You turn the page. You go to chapter 16. And verse 1 says this. Samson went to Gaza, and there he saw a prostitute, and he went into her. And the story, his life changes. And when we read this, we just assume that one day he woke up, he made a big mistake, and guess what? His life was destroyed. And you can read what happens to him. Eventually he gets killed, he gets his strength back, but eventually he, he's killed, right? Right? It's not just, it's not just one decision, though. He didn't just wake up and say, you know what, I'm going to go, I'm going to find me a prostitute. As a matter of fact, a lot of people have done the research. There's a map up here, and the map will show you where he is and where he's going, and, and it's about 25 miles apart. Do you know how many steps 25 miles is? It's 56,250 average human steps from where he lived to where he needed to go. And so here's the point. A lot of people say, well, Samson, he just woke up one day and he decided, hey, let me go find a prostitute. And he ruined his life. No, 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 no. Samson had 56,250 steps to stop going where he was going. Do you know how many days walk 56,250 steps is? Two. So he didn't just have one day to decide to stop taking those steps. He had two days to decide to stop taking another step to accomplish the 56,250 steps that he would need to take. You see, we don't ruin our lives by one bad decision. Our lives are usually ruined by a series of steps, a series of decisions that we make along the way. And I think that that's what Samson illustrates to us and here's the deal, we risk, we risk so much for so little. We risk so much for instant satisfaction, instant gratification. We risk so much for an instant thrill or an instant joy. We risk so much to soothe ourselves for just a moment. And we do it every day, don't we? We, we risk so much for nothing. And Samson, he didn't get to a bad place all at once. He got to a bad place one habit, one step, one individual step along the way. And this is why we started talking, who do we want to become? That's the question we need to ask ourselves. When we're trying to do something different, we need to ask ourselves, who, who do I want to become? And then last week we talked about what? What good habit do I need to start doing so that I can become who I want to become? And this week we're going to talk about what is one bad habit that I need to stop doing so that I can become the person that I want to become. James chapter 1 verse 21 says this, Therefore put away all filthiness 
and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. And almost all of the New Testament writers talk about this. There are certain things that we need to get rid of in our lives. There are certain things that we need to put away. There's things that we need to take out of our lives. Why? Because they're not helping us become the people we want to become. And so based on who I want to become, what's one bad habit that I need to break? What's one bad habit that I need to stop doing? Now before we jump into that, here's the deal. There's a big difference between good habits, starting good habits, and stopping bad habits. And this is the deal. Good habits are usually hard to start because the payoff is in the future, right? A good habit, we don't usually have the energy to begin starting the good habit because we don't get that instantaneous satisfaction, that instantaneous uh, gratification that comes from our habits. So if you want to save up so that your kids can go to college, you have to start saving today. And maybe you start small and you start saving $1 a week for your kid's education. And at the end of the year, you've got $52. Wow. Right? And immediately you think, that's a joke, Tom. No, 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 no. Here's the deal. The reason we don't want to start paying the $1 a week now is because we can't see 20 years down the road what that can become. And so we are reluctant to start new good habits because we don't see the result of those habits until the future. Now, the opposite is true, very similar for bad habits. Bad habits have an immediate perceived benefit with negative payoff in the future, right? So I got drunk this time. It didn't really affect much, so no big deal. No big deal. I got high, didn't do anything to me this time. No big deal. Right? I ate the whole cake this time. No problem. No big deal. Doesn't matter. Right? Right? I mean, think about all of these things that we do and then play it out. Look at it in the future. What happens in the future? 20 years, 30 years down the road, you look at your life and it wasn't that something bad happened there. It's that we started making a decision right here that created a negative habit that gave us some sort of perceived instant satisfaction that led to a negative future. Now, I'm not going to ask you if this has happened in your life, but have you ever seen this happen in somebody else's life? Hello? Okay, good. Seven of us. That's super. That's really good. Um, Here's the deal. Good habits. Good habits like you know what, get up in the morning, go do a little of exercise, it's cold outside, but you still do it. It's difficult to get up out of bed to go do it, but nine months later, you finally realize you're starting to gain some muscle and lose some weight, right? Coming to church. Church is one of those habits that if you base it on just today, man, today's probably a bad day to base it on, right? Because I'm talking about bad habits and you're gonna feel not so good about yourself when you leave, which is actually the very opposite of what we want to have happen So if you base today just on today, you're going to walk out of here and go, I'm never going back to that place. But here's the deal. You commit to it for the next nine months. Every Sunday morning, you get up, you come gather, you learn some things. All of a sudden, nine months later, you realize, you know what? I'm closer to God. I'm a better dad. I've got a better marriage. I've got peace in my heart that I've not had before. And it wasn't just one moment, it was many moments over time that started building up that helped you get to the place that you wanted to be. 
The bad habit, on the other hand, you know what? I sneak out, I, I get a cigarette because a cigarette relieves my stress, it makes me feel better, and then decades later, you get diagnosed with lung cancer or emphysema, and you're thinking, what is going on? Right? One decision over time that built up and added up. You become customer of the year at the buffet down the street. Man, you are so loyal. They make you customer of the year. They give you free buffet every single day for the next year, right? In West Texas, there's this thing called uh, the Golden Corral. We called it the trough, all right? Because literally, Sunday after church, all the good Christians, and you know what? You talk about unity among denominations. Wow. I mean, we shared the trough with anybody, even the Baptist down the street, right? Now, seriously, you think about this. You get customer of the year and you go to the buffet, the buffet, right? Every single day for a year. Probably won't cause too much problems immediately, but 20, 30 years down the road, you realize I've been diagnosed with heart issues, high cholesterol, diabetes. You see what I'm saying? Good habits are usually hard to start. Because the payoff's later. Bad habits are usually hard to stop because we don't see the effects of it until later. And so I want to help us break a bad habit, all right? I want to give us the tools to break a bad habit. Here's the first thing we have to do. We have to acknowledge it. We have to acknowledge it. We have to admit it. Why? Because we cannot defeat what we cannot define. We cannot defeat what we cannot define. If we don't define it, we can't defeat it. Does that make sense? And so maybe you're sitting here and you're saying, you know what? There is a bad habit I need to change in my life. Maybe it has to do with your attitude. And maybe you need an attitude adjustment, right? And all of a sudden you say, you know what? I've got a critical spirit. And maybe this is the reason that I have a critical spirit, but I have a critical spirit. I'm critical. And when people say things to me, I'm just critical by nature. We have to, we have to say it. Maybe it's a complaining heart. Maybe it's a gossiping tongue. Maybe it's overeating. Maybe it's too many sweets. Maybe it's too much fast food. Maybe it's too many snacks. Maybe it has nothing to do with any of that, and it has to do with our digital lives, video games, social media. And don't you love Apple? They created an app for you that will remind you weekly how much screen time you've had. Wow. I can tell you love it as much as I do, right? And it'll tell you just how much time you've spent. And maybe you look at that and you're thinking, I was not, there's no possible way I was in front of my phone for 16 hours this week. Wow. And there's reasons that some of you don't have iPhones because of that nice little app that they gave you, Right? get rid of that, go back to Samsung that will let me do it however long I want without telling me. <laughs> but maybe you find yourself binge watching Netflix episodes one after another and life just stalls. Maybe it's the porn addiction that you've been keeping secret for so long. Maybe it's the devices or the other things that are going on. Maybe it is substance. Maybe it's sugar. Maybe it's nicotine. Maybe it's prescription drugs. Maybe it's alcohol. Maybe it's marijuana because that's all legal and stuff now. And so maybe, maybe you think that all of that's okay. And all of a sudden what happens is when you begin to acknowledge it and you begin to call it what it is, when you begin to define it, then all of a sudden you'll find that you have some strength so that you can overcome it. 
And that's the desire, that's the heart behind all of that. And so how do we break a bad habit? We have to first acknowledge it. And so I hope today, my goal would be that sometime today, at some point, you would acknowledge some bad habit that you have and begin doing something about it. The second thing that we've got to do is we've got to make it difficult to do. We have to make it difficult to do. Right? We have to make it hard. Last week we talked, how do you start a good habit? Well, to start a good habit, you have to make it easy to do. So if you want to stop a bad habit, you have to make it hard to do. We have to make it hard to do, right? And so this is the reality. We only have so much willpower anyway. And, and this is one of the areas that uh, is pretty interesting to me, right? We showed you this picture last week of how a cue and a routine and a reward work. There's a cue that causes you to do something, right? A routine, and then it gives you some sort of satisfaction, some sort of reward, which is why when you see the cue again, you do the action, and then you do uh, get the reward, and it just goes on and on and on and on and on. And so I call the cue the trigger, right? I call the routine the action, and, and the reward is the reward. It just is. And so when we're dealing with good habits, we want to create an easy cue that says, when I do this, I'm going to do this, which is then going to give me the reward, which will create the habit for us. When I want to stop a bad habit, it's similar, but what I need to do is I need to interrupt, I need to interrupt the action, which means I need to change the trigger or the cue. So when I change the trigger or I change the cue and I interrupt the action, guess what? I won't accomplish the action. 11 years ago, I went through some counseling and I was dealing with some things in my past and we were talking about how sometimes in the, in, late at night, I'd go to the refrigerator, I'd open the refrigerator and I'd stare at the refrigerator. Have you ever done this? And sometimes I'd find something to chow down on, sometimes I wouldn't, sometimes just the satisfaction of staring at the refrigerator, knowing that I can indulge in whatever I wanted to indulge in, soothed my soul. Well, there was a trigger, but we didn't know what the trigger was. Was it that I was depressed? Was it that I was unsatisfied? Was it, what, what was it? Was I discouraged? Did my wife not compliment me because I didn't load the dishwasher or because I did load the dishwasher? Like, right? So, so what am I looking for from somewhere else that's then causing me to go in desperation and just stare at the refrigerator? So what she encouraged me to do is take a three-by-five card and say, why are you staring in here? And seriously, I thought she was crazy at first. I opened the refrigerator, and I'm like, oh, I don't want to talk about that. Walk away. Walk away. I, what did I do? I created something, because the trigger was there, I created something that would interrupt the action so that I would avoid the action. Here's the reality. We only have so much willpower. I talked about this first service. I'm sure some of you this does not come into play with, but we have Wednesday morning uh, grow groups and we have Wednesday night grow groups. And we love having grow groups in our building. But guess what? You can't have a grow group, church grow group, without food, right? It's like doth saith the 11th commandment somewhere. And so guess what? All these sweet ladies come in Wednesday morning. Oh, they're so sweet. And they've got their baked goods and their store-bought cookies and they've got their vegetables and you know these other things and then grow group ends and guess where it ends up the staff kitchen right next to my office right it does 
It does, and I feel so, I'm a people person, and so if you know anything about the Enneagram, you know anything about strength finders, I'm all people, right? I'm all heart, and so I think, oh, these sweet ladies brought me their cookies. I need to eat one because I don't want to disappoint them, and, and you think I'm kind of kidding. I'm not. That's really what goes on in my soul, all right? It's messy. It's messy. I'm all heart. And so this is the deal. I've decided I think I need a sign at the door that says, don't feed the pastor. All right? <laughs> Maybe with a bear image or something. All right? But stop feeding the pastor. Don't feed the pastor. Because this is what happens. This is what happens. I go in there, and there's four boxes of Donut World donuts. All right? Because they didn't. Do you think they give us the leftover vegetables? No. They take those home. They give us the junk food, right? So they give us the donuts and the store-bought cookies and the homemade zucchini bread. And I mean, I could just go on and on and on with all these things that they bring in to us. And I think, you know what? I've got the willpower. I'm not going to eat. In the, I'm not even going to go in that room today. I'm going to avoid the room. And yet Craig's in there eating lunch. I need to go tell Craig something. I walk in. I'm talking to Craig and the thing's staring at me back there. Like, I swear they got eyeballs right? Crawling out of the box. Eat me, eat me. And I'm like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to be a really good pastor. And I'm going to cut this in fourths, and I'm only going to eat the fourth of it, but I'm going to make sure the jelly one's got all the jelly on that fourth, right? And so I eat that, and I'm thinking, I feel so good about myself. And so I go back to my office, and I'm working, and somebody else comes in, and then I realize I missed lunch, and so I go into the break room. I look in the refrigerator, because that's what we do. We start the refrigerator. There's never anything good in that, right? hey, there's some donuts. Hey, and look, the one I cut in fourths is still there. Well, what a shame, the poor donut. I, I, I'll just eat half, all right? I'll just eat half so you eat the other one. By the end of the day, after you've dealt with all those stuff that we get to deal with as pastors, right? Yeah, guess what? That donut's gone. And I should have just eaten the whole thing in the first place. So here's the reality. Here's the reality. If I want to change that, what do I need to do? I thought about not having grow groups here during the week, <laughs> but I thought that might be a little extreme. And so what I said to first service, and I'll say to you all, if you bring me your cookies, thank you so much. They're probably going to go in the trash. Why? Why? Because we need to change the trigger, the action. We have to be drastic, and we have to inter interfere we have to do something drastic to change what the action's going to be. Does that make sense? We have to. We have to. That's just what I have to say. We have to make it difficult to do, difficult to accomplish. I love what Proverbs 4 says. Do not enter the path of the wicked and do not walk in the way of evil. Avoid it. Do not go on it and turn away from it and pass on it, right? We have to do something drastic. And when we want to change the trigger, we have to be aware of what the triggers are. And so I think there's five common triggers that, that happen. The first one is this. It's called place. Have you noticed? Nobody ever, ever overeats at the gym. They just don't. Typically, or at least it used to be the case, I, I think it's still true, most people don't come to church to get high. All right? It just doesn't happen. And so place matters. Place matters. Not only does place matter, but time matters. 
Time is a critical piece, right? Most people who are addicted to pornography look at it when? After everybody else in their household has gone to sleep. The willpower is gone, right? There is no more willpower. Nobody will know. It's all perceived that nobody could possibly have any idea what I'm doing at this point in time. And so when does it happen? It's the time. It's the time. It's late at night or I'm bored and I'm alone. And so I veg on Netflix, right? And so time is one of those triggers that will cause us a cue to engage with a bad habit. Time. I love David, right? You remember this idea about David and Bathsheba? If you're not familiar with the Old Testament, David, the king of Israel, God's chosen, a man after God's own heart, sees a woman, sleeps with her, impregnates her, and the story goes downhill from there. And with this idea of time, I love this. 2 Samuel verse 11, chapter 1 says this. In the spring of the year, you ready? In the spring of the year, the time when kings go out to battle. So right there, what time was it? It was springtime and it was time for David to go where? He's king of Israel. He's supposed to go where? Out to battle. But instead, what does David do? David, he sends Joab and his servants with him and all of Israel to go fight. And the king stays where? Home. And so the king, just minding his own business on top of his roof, looks over at Bathsheba's roof. And guess what she's doing? She's taking a bath. And David had 56,250 steps where he could have said, I'm going to turn around, I'm going to walk away, and I'm not going to see that. What David did is he used those 56,250 steps to go where? Closer. I'll just stare a while. Ooh, wow. Art. Beautiful. Then he walks down his stairs, and somehow he goes to her house and says, Hey, I don't know what he said. I have, actually have no idea. Hey, I saw you bathing? Or wow? Or I, I just walked into that with no preparation. So I don't know. He said something and she said, okay, right? And this is getting from bad to worse. Um, and I have no notes to help me get out of this right now. Bada bing, bada bang. Time, time. Let's just stop this conversation. Whew. Time. He should have been at battle. He should have been in war. He should have not been at the palace where he could see Bathsheba bathing. And then he had every step, every opportunity to walk away from it, but he didn't. So time is one of those triggers. Another trigger is mood. Our mood can do things to us. Did you know this? And there's a great acronym called HALT. And it means hungry, angry, lonely, and tired. And out of all of those four, those four usually can lead us into our cue or our trigger into an action that gives us temporary satisfaction. And so we just keep doing it. Man, I am terrible at this one. When I am hungry and angry, we call it hangry, I yell at my kids. I, and it's not even their fault. So they would say, don't, don't, put, don't feed the pastor on the sign. Put, please feed the pastor, all right? Th theirs would be a totally different conversation. 
But I yell at my children when I'm hungry, when I'm angry, when I come home, I'm stressed, or something didn't go right. I just, it automatically comes out of me. I just yell at them. They didn't do it. They didn't deserve it. How many of you have done that before? Help me feel better. Thank you. Thank you. I wasn't the only one, right? But this hungry and angry and lonely and tired, it is a trigger for us to go down into a road that we want to avoid. There's also moments. There are certain moments that happen for us, and in these moments, we do the same things that we did before. And so you have a fight with your husband. Guess what you do? You call your girlfriend, you go get together, and you have a husband bashing party right? It's a cue. It's just what you do. Some people go play softball and when they get done with the game, it's a, it's a habit. It's a moment. So we play softball, then we go get drinks together. There's habits that happen. There's things that we do. There's moments that create these things that just happen. I, I'm taking a test and I flunk the test and I know I flunked the test, so I go get high to make myself feel better. There's these moments. There's also people. People are very critical. Studies conclude that the closer we are to someone, the more likely we are to adopt their good and bad habits, which is so true. When you think about this, Proverbs 13, verse 20 says, whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. And so if you want to be a great husband, you should probably put yourself around other great husbands. You want to be a great dad, put yourself around other great husbands. Dads, if you want to be free of addiction, then stop running around with people who are addicted, right? These are some of those things that we just have to recognize and deal with in our minds. The closer we are to the friends we have, the more likely we are to do some of the things that they are doing. It's almost impossible to live the right life with the wrong friends. It just is. It's almost impossible to live the right life with the wrong set of friends. 1 Corinthians 15.33 says, Do not be, see, be, be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. Man, so this is what I want you to do. I want you to understand that the habits I have today are shaping who I will become tomorrow. The habits, good and bad, are shaping me to become the person that, I, that, that I'll be becoming tomorrow. They just do. And so do I like the direction? Do I like the directions my habits are taking me? Are my habits taking me where I want to go? Are they accomplishing? Are they helping me accomplish who I want to become? So what are we going to do? We're going to admit it. We're going to make it hard to do. And the third thing we're going to do is we're going to play it forward. Remember I told you the deal with bad habits is we can't recognize how bad habits have an effect on us in the future. So you want to think, you know what? I've got to work my career and I've got to work up the ladder and I've got to spend as much time as I can with work. Play that forward 20 years. Your kids are out of the house. What's your relationship like with your kids? You think, you know what? I don't understand savings because it'll take me forever to save anything. So I'm just going to spend and I'm just going to take what I have and I'm going to enjoy. Eat, drink, and be merry. Play that forward 20 years. Where does that get you? Does it get you to where you want to be? Does it help you become the person that you want to become? So we've got to start doing some drastic things. 
If yours is it's hard to wake up in the morning and just get going and I push the snooze button 20 times and I just don't want to get up and I don't want to, I mean, we've got to interrupt that and we've got to do something about, put the phone and the alarm across the room, force yourself to get up. Do what I did when I was in college and buy the, buy the alarm clock that's got the bells on the top of it and put it in the pot on the other side of the room. Because when that sucker goes off, guess what? Your heart's beating so fast that there's no way you're going to go back to sleep. I kicked that pan a few times. Right? We have to do, if we're overspending on Amazon and we're Amazon spending crazy, man, you've got to give somebody close to your password to Amazon. Let them change it so that when you have to buy something, you have to go the distance to do it. Right? If you're addicted to pornography on your phone, then you give somebody your phone and let them change your passwords, limit your access to things, maybe even delete Safari off completely. Take drastic measures to get there. Because do these things, are they going to help you become the person you want to become in 20 years? Sure, they'll give you satisfaction quick and immediate, but guess what? That's not the objective here. That's not what we want to accomplish. So play it forward. And what I am doing today, is it going to help me become the person I want to become? Does this habit get me where I want to go? And let's ask the question, I wish I spent more time with my kids. If I had only forgiven him or if I had only forgiven her, my life would be different now. I wish I had never started. I had no idea that this would have ruined my life. Man, we have to ask these questions and see it so that we can get where we want to go. We've got to remove the trigger. We've got to interrupt the action. Now, here's the deal. When I come to messages like this, and I think about it in my own life, sometimes I feel so weak. So weak. I'm like, oh, I am so weak. I can't do this. I'm not strong enough. I want you to understand something. When I am weak, Jesus is strong. When I am weak, Jesus is strong. Jesus in me is stronger than the wrong desires that reside in me. Jesus in me is stronger than the desires of the flesh that exist in me. Jesus is stronger in me so that when I'm taking the 56,250 steps, he gives me the strength to say I'm going to stop taking the next step. Jesus in me is matter who I want to become, starting a habit or breaking a habit, whatever. We can never underestimate that God wants to do something remarkable in us when we start doing something so small. Do you remember this? Zechariah chapter 4, verse 10. Do not despise these small things, for the Lord rejoices. The Lord rejoices to see the work begin. He loves seeing this work in us. And this is the deal. We, can't, we don't have to make one big lofty goal and say, you know what, this year we're going to put $10,000 in savings. That may not be accomplished. You may not be able to do it. But what you can do is you can say, I'm going to give $1 a week to savings. What you can do is say, you know what, I'm going to spend at least two nights of the week sitting at the table with my family. Maybe it's four. Maybe it's six. What you can do is say, you know what? I'm going to begin changing my friends. I want to be a great follower of Jesus, so I'm going to go hang out with people who are great followers of Jesus. I want to be a better dad, and so I'm going to surround myself with people who are better dads than me. This is what we have to do, and God will begin doing something in us. 
And what will happen is every time we do something, the definition will change. Our definition will change. Every time we work out, you'll start to feel more athletic and more, more we practice a music instrument. Guess what happens? We feel like we're a musician. And every time we pray with our kids, it's as if we're a godly dad. We read scripture with our kids. Every time we serve, every time we give, every time we love somebody who's unlovable, we become ambassadors of Jesus. Man, this is so important for us to define us as something different. I want to go back to the verse I started with, Revelation chapter 12, verse 10. Listen to this again. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God, and they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. And understand this, if you're trying to create new habits, if you're trying to kick bad habits, the strength in you to do so, you'll find some in yourself. But I'm telling you, if you want to be strong, then you got to know Jesus. Jesus gives us a strength beyond our own understanding. When I'm weak, Jesus shows up and he gives me the strength that I need. When I'm weak, the Spirit shows up and gives me that voice in my head that says, Really, Tom? Really? See, sometimes what we do is we say, I'm just too weak. I'm just not strong enough. I just can't stop this. I just, it, it's too hard. And what I love about Revelation chapter 12 is this Jesus has already died on the cross. Jesus' blood has already shed for humanity on the cross. And because of his blood and because of his love and because of the sacrifice that he became for us, we are strong enough because of him. We're tough enough because of him. We can do it because we realize I'm never alone. The Spirit is with me. See, sometimes we just think it's so impossible. We just can't do it. It can't be accomplished. Like just, there's no way. My life, I'm too far in the hole. I'm too far from God. I'm too far into it with other people. No, 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 no. Samson could have walked 56,249 steps and stopped and went the other way. It is never too late. You've never gone too far that Jesus can't capture our hearts, make us new. You've never blown it too bad. And things are possible with him. If you leave today and you don't know Jesus, man, I have failed you. <laughs> I'm over here every single week. And if you don't know Jesus, I want to talk to you about who he is. I want to talk to you about what he's accomplished. I want to talk to you about why by his blood, the blood of the perfect lamb, can absolutely change your life. I want to talk to you about how the change that you've experienced isn't because you're bad enough, good enough, tough enough, smart enough, wise enough. The good change that's in you is because he's good enough. 
because he's strong enough. So I would just ask you while we sing this song, who do you want to become? The who question is important. And my challenge to you is that who do you want? I want to, I want to become somebody who honors Jesus every single day of my life. Why? Because that is accomplished. That we can do. What's one good habit that you need to start? Think about that. Once one bad habit, you need to stop. Let's sing the song together. Would you stand, please?